We are continuing our study of Simha. We are currently in class number 57. This class is given Mr. Ezra Shrem, Shalom, Amen, who cared for others and his community and his family. May this class be to elevate his neshama, Amen. Also, for a of Malka Bat Mazal. She shall have a speedy recovery. Amen. We have been discussing the different types of Shi'urim, the different types of lessons or classes that Hashem uses in the world that we live in order to open our eyes in order to educate us, in order to guide us. We learned so far three out of four shiurim. We spoke about yisurim, how suffering of all kinds, from the smallest type of suffering to the most difficult, is there as a shiur, to awaken a person. We learned about suffering that comes not directly to the person, but from what he sees in others. When a person sees other people suffering. So like we learned, besides, of course, the compassion and its filot, we must also take a lesson. That's a shi'ur for us. And we learned last week about the shi'ur that Hashem gives us through rebuke. Rebuke can come from the Torah, it can come from rabbis, it can come from friends, it can come from family members. And today we're going to be speaking about the fourth lesson that the Havot Levavot discusses. He says, One of the lessons is that Hashem showers upon a person. So many benefits and so much kindness that a person sees success in different areas in their life, whether it's health, whether it's with family, whether it's with business, all different hatzlachot that a person experiences in their life. Says the Havot Levavot, that's one of the lessons that Hashem sends us in order to awaken us. Whoever thought that success in life is one of Hashem's shiurim, is one of Hashem's, is on Hashem's curriculum. It's not a lesson that we probably thought about. Because usually what happens when a person succeeds, he's so busy enjoying what Hashem gave him, he forgets who gave it to him, he forgets why he gave it to him. Very often it leads to arrogance, it leads to pride, and to a lot of not good things. But believe it or not, the Havot Levavot says that the Hatzlachot Hashem gives a person are there to awaken the person, to inspire him to realize 
how much he owes, how much he should be thankful for, how much he should be doing for the creator of the world. Like he says, the Havot Levavot, when he understands all the kindness that Hashem is doing for him all the time. Which means there's an obligation to reciprocate. When someone does you good, you want to give back. You want to show your appreciation. This is the shi'ur of Hatzlaha. The shi'ur of success. This is a person who Baruch Hashem is healthy. Who Baruch Hashem, his family is intact. Who Baruch Hashem is getting married. He's having children. He has parnasa. He doesn't have problems, relatively speaking. He doesn't see problems with others around him. He's not getting rebuked. But yet, the lesson of Hatzlaha has reached his heart. And he's able to awaken himself through the success and the blessings that Hashem sends him. Hazal tell us, as we learned, that if Yisurim, if suffering comes upon a person, he should start checking his ways. Let him analyze what he may be doing wrong and what he could be doing better. But today we're learning that just as important, and maybe more important, that when a person sees success in their life, that's also Hashem talking to him. That's also a demand. That's also an envelope that needs to be opened. As I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, somebody asked me, how come when Hashem wants to talk to me, He has to send me an envelope of suffering? Why can't he just send me other envelopes? And today is the answer. We're learning that Hashem is sending envelopes of Hatzlaha our whole lives. He's sending us so much Biracha in so many ways. There is nobody that we know, that we ever met, that hasn't seen an abundance of blessings in their life. Those are all envelopes. Those are not just random things that God gave us. The purpose of creation is that a person have pleasure. But the real pleasure is in the next world. The Hashem sends gifts to a person in life. They're a call for action. When Hashem sends a person Yisurim, it's time to wake up and ask himself, so what should I be doing? What am I doing wrong? What do I need to fix? When Hashem sends a person success, Hashem gives you a beracha in your family, you had a child, you got married, you go to the doctor, they tell you everything is good. I mentioned the other day how a person very often goes to the doctor and they ask him to fill out these boxes to see what things may be wrong with them. It usually happens in a first time visit. It's like this two-sided paper that has columns and columns of things. Do you have this issue? And do you have that issue? And a person has to go and check them. And hopefully not check them. And actually, it annoys a lot of us that we have to sit here because we're the first time at the doctor and fill out these papers. But in reality, 
Every one of those boxes is another gift that Hashem is reminding you. Here's another item that you don't have. Another item that you could have had. And each one of them is a matana. It's a gift. In Hebrew, the word matana comes from the word natan. Natan means to give. The word natan is spelled nun tav nun. If you spell it forwards, it means to give. If you spell it backwards, it's read the same way, natan. When Hashem sends a gift, when He gives you a natan, the purpose is that you should give back. There's a natan that you're supposed to reciprocate. And if you don't do that, if you don't pick up the message, if we don't take the gift and realize, oh wow, I owed yesterday, but after today, I owe more. I owed last week, but after this week, wow, what a week I had, Baruch Hashem. Everything went well this week. I owe more after this week. Of course, as we learned, it's so important to pick up the messages of Yisurin. It's never easy to tell a person, and that's why we usually don't tell people directly. But in a class like this, we're talking to everybody. So, but we could speak more direct. It's so important to pick up the messages when it comes to Yisurin. Like the Rambam writes in Lachot Sara'at. The Rambam says that when it comes to Tzara'at, leprosy, he writes, you should know that leprosy says, It's not a normal thing to happen. He says it's a it's a wonder that Hashem does for Am Yisrael, where He sends us leprosy. That He warns us because we're not using our mouth properly. He says, A person doesn't watch their mouth. The first thing that Sara'at hits is the home. In the Torah, we find that Sara'at is found in a number of places. Says the Rambam, the first area is the home. He says, Im hazarbo, if a person repairs his problems, yitar habayit, the house will be good, and everything will be fine. He says, however, if a person doesn't take the message, he says, what's going to happen is, it will come to his clothing. If he picks up the messages, then he's good. He says, but if a person still doesn't pick up the messages, he says, then the tzara'at will reach the person himself. It will reach his body. The Rambam is explaining to us how Hashem communicates with us. The preference is that there is no Yisurin. The preference is that the envelopes of success should be constantly opened and sent back. But if a person doesn't do what's good and what's right, then there are other ways to try to wake him up. When a person wakes up from Yisurin, it's a tremendous berachah for him. I want to reiterate that. It says by Shimshon, we all heard and learned about Shimshon, the powerful Shimshon, 
We know that what happened to him at the end of his life is that the Pelishtim took him and they took out both of his eyes. And he, they had him standing by this Colosseum and he was hanging on to some giant uh, pole, whatever it was, a pillar. And they were all watching him. That was a big prize for them to get Shimshon, the powerful Shimshon in that situation. And the Pasuk says, and the Hazal explained, Vayikra Shimshon el Adonai. Shimshon calls Hashem and he says, Please Hashem, Zochrenina, please remember me. Vehazekenina and give me strength. Just one more time. I need one more time. He was a very powerful man his whole life, but he lost all his power, as we know, when they cut his hair. He says, please, Hashem, one more time. I need one push. Look at the words he says. And let me take revenge. Nekam ahat mishte enai. Let me take revenge from one of my two eyes from Pelishtim. What does that mean? Let's review the words. Hashem, please help me get my strength one more time. I want to bring down this building. I'm going to go with them too. And I want it to be the revenge from one of my two eyes. What does that mean? What is he saying? Rashi Allah Shalom says, Sechar Ain Hashanit Hanahli Le'olam Haba. Hashem, he says, Hashem, I have two zechuyot. I have two merits, two eyes. One eye, the merit of one eye, please leave that for me for Olam Haba. I need that to live for eternity. Vikan, but right now I'm willing to get paid instead of leaving two zechuyot for Olam Haba. I'm willing to take one zechut that I can make a kiddush Hashem right now and let that strength be the payment that you're going to pay me for my zechut of the other eye. So one more time. I have two eyes, two zechuyot. One of them keep for olam haba. I need that one. The zechut that I need to get repaid for the other eye. So I want please to check to cash in on that one. I want the strength now so I can knock down this building with all these people. And that's what happened. As you know, it says that he leaned on the on the pillar and he says, Tamot nafshim pelishtim, and everything happened as we know. The whole thing fell down. He destroyed the whole place. This story doesn't make much sense. What merit is he talking about? Which merit does he mean when he says, the merit of my two eyes? Sounds like he did something good with his eyes. But our rabbis tell us in Masechet Sotah that the reason why his eyes had to suffer such a terrible ending, says the Mishnah, Shimshon Halach Ahar Enav. Shimshon, he used his eyes the wrong way. He went after his eyes. 
He married someone he shouldn't have married. His parents warned him, but it says that he went after his eyes. Now we're talking about Shimshon, one of the great people in our history. And everything that we say is not on our level. It's on a much higher level, but we need to take something for us. So don't, don't, I don't want to bring him down to our level. But bottom line is that his eyes were not used properly on his level. He went after his eyes, says the Mishnah, and that is why the Pelishtim took out his eyes. So that was no merit. What merit is that? That was more like a punishment. Because his eyes weren't used well, that's why he got his eyes taken out. So what does he mean when he says, Hashem, please, the merit, the zechut of more of my eyes, uh, Shimshon, that was not a zechut. That was a rebuke. That was a, a reaction to something that you didn't do right. What does he mean, the zechut of my two eyes? What is he talking about? The answer is like this. And it's very important to know this answer. Because it's true that Yisurim come upon a person in order for the person to correct, to upgrade. But when they do get the message, when Shimshon gets the message, when he realizes that this didn't happen for no reason. And he corrects his ways because of that. So then the very place that he suffered from turns into a merit, turned into a zechut, which means that Yisurin are sent to awaken the person. If the person wakes up, then the Yisurin themselves become a merit for that person. Yes, they were sent originally because of an unfortunate thing that he did. But when he picked up on it and he realized and he took the lesson home, then the Yisurim turned into a merit for the person. So again, I remind you that when we speak about Yisurim, we speak about Hashem talking to us. We speak about us ourselves asking, so what do we need to do? And to remind ourselves that when we pick up the right messages, the, the suffering itself becomes a merit. But none of us want to go down that road. There's no need to go down that road. Like the Pasuk in Tehillim that says, Mi hacham That Perek in Tehillim talks about the four people that must say Gomel that must bring korban toda because they were in a very desperate, dangerous situation. These people are someone who's sick, he's in a hospital, they're in bed for a period of time, a person who was in jail, danger of dying, a person who was in the ocean, who could have, God forbid something happened, could have happened at any moment, or a person is in the desert, Dangerous situations, says the Torah, you have to bring a korban toda. And David Melech has a whole perek of Tehillim 
This is, by the way, the peg that we read on Pesach. That talks about how a person needs to thank Hashem when he is saved from a dangerous situation. But the Pasuk says in the end of that Perek, listen to this Pasuk. Mi Hacham, who is a wise person, ve'yishmor ele, and he will watch these, ve'yitbonenu haste Hashem, and let them contemplate the kindness of Hashem. What does that mean? What is the Pasuk saying? Mi Hacham, who is the wise person that's going to watch these? Watch what? Answer is, who is the wise person that watches all these people and watches all their situation, who watches the sick person, who watches the person in jail, who watches the person who's stuck somewhere? Mi hacham, who is the wise person? Ve'yishmor ele. He watches all of what's going on around them, Hashem, and then they start thinking, wow, how much good do I have? How much kindness do I have? Baruch Hashem, I'm not in bed. Baruch Hashem, I'm not in jail. Baruch Hashem, I'm not stuck in the water. Baruch Hashem, all these things, you have to be a smart person, not to be like Shimshon, not to wait for the eyes to get damaged, and realize, oh wow, I made a mistake. And then the eyes become the reward. We don't want those rewards. Mi hacham, who is the smart person that doesn't await such rewards? Yishmor ele, rather, he learns about Shimshon, he opens the pasuk, learns the Gemara about Shimshon, and right away, he says, no, I gotta take care of my eyes. I don't need to be Shimshon, I don't want the zechut of Shimshon's eyes. Those zechuyot are bedi'avad. Those zechuyot are after the fact. Mi hacham, the smart person says, I don't want such merit. I want the merit of yitbonenu hasdeh Hashem. The merits I want are the ones that I see Hashem's kindness in my life and I act accordingly. It's so explicitly written, explicit, written in the Torah, what I just spoke to you about. There is a parasha called Parashat Kitavo. The parasha over there discusses all the blessings that Hashem will send Am Yisrael if they follow what they're supposed to be doing in life. And then it turns to, unfortunately, the bad things that can happen if they don't live accordingly. I'm not going to go through all of them, but they don't sound very nice. Some very difficult things that will happen. And then the Torah says, and you know why this will happen? Tahat, well, I mean, really, it already says why it's going to happen. It says, it's introduced as follows. Vehaya. If you don't listen to what Hashem is talking to you about, If you don't listen to the mitzvot, then you're going to have to deal with these curses. 
So the Pasuk already told me, introductory, why these things are going to happen. But then towards the end it says, and you know why this is going to happen? Tahat. The word tahat means because, usually it's translated because. Asher lo abata. You didn't serve. Et Hashem elokecha. You didn't serve God. Besimha. With happiness. Uktuv levav. Merov kol. Merov kol means you had everything. But you didn't do it right. You didn't do what you're supposed to do. You didn't appreciate right. You didn't reciprocate right. You did not serve God with all your strength. Merov kol. While I gave you everything. But you were sleeping. You were not appreciative. So simply this pasuk is translated. Because you didn't serve Hashem. Besimcha. That's why you have all of these curses. But the word tahat in Hebrew usually doesn't mean because. The word tahat means instead of. So really what this pasuk means is as follows. That all these curses are instead of. Tahat. Meaning you could have had so much better in your life. If you would have been awake when Hashem gave you all the blessings. If you would have cried from happiness. And you would have asked, what is it that I need to do? Ma ashiv Lashem. Kol tagmulohi alai. The question of great people like David Melech, who wonder what is it that they're not doing enough? What is it that I can repay? Ma ashiv Lashem. Kol tagmulohi alai. Well, I wanted to repay yesterday, but then today I got much more than yesterday. So again, Ma ashiv Lashem. Says the Torah, Tahat, if you would have said Ma'ashiv Lashem, if you would have said, when I sent you all the good, Merov Kol, if you would have asked yourself, Ma'ashiv Lashem, what is it that I have to pay back? Then you wouldn't have had to deal with all the things that I'm telling you. These came in place of Tahat, not because. It's not Hashem punishing you. It's not, oh, you didn't do the right thing when you were happy? I'm going to get you. No, 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 no. It's not like that. Hashem doesn't punish us. Hashem talks to us. Hashem says, I tried to speak to you. I gave you everything. I sent you so many envelopes. But you were sleeping. So tahat, my only way is I have to resort to a different language. Because I care too much about you to give up on you. Hopefully, with this, you will say, Okay, you know something? What do I got to do? I didn't want to take the message of the Beracha. I didn't want the Hatzlacha. I didn't take any of those things to heart. But maybe what I send you now, instead of that, maybe that will give you the right opportunity to contemplate and to think. And in fact... Most of Jewish history is a story of Tahat.
Our history has been full of times and generations that we suffered terrible things because of tahat, because we didn't appreciate the good when we had it. One example of that is the, the decree of Haman. Haman was sent for one reason and one reason only. Because of tahat. Because everything was good. And when everything is good, unfortunately, sometimes we don't realize what we need to do. So Haman was sent to make us appreciate tahat. That is why on Purim, we celebrate with such simha. Simha of a sauda, Simha of giving gifts to one another. We have such a happiness on Purim. What is the happiness all about? The happiness is all about, it's a reaction to Haman. Hashem, you sent us Haman. You scared us with Haman. You frightened us with Haman. You gave us decrees through Haman. Why? Because we weren't reacting to success. We weren't doing what we're supposed to do when we were good and happy and successful. So you sent Haman in order to shake us up. And Baruch Hashem, we got the message. And what is the message? That we're going to go back to Tahat. We're going to go back to Simha. But this time, we're going to do it right. We're not going to sit by Ahasuerus' party because we have everything. We're going to sit in our party. And you're going to be with us. And we're going to have our children around us. And we're going to sing. And we're going to say the Torah. And we're going to talk about how we can become closer to you. That's how we're going to use the Simha and the Hatzlaha today. We got the message of Haman. The message of Haman is Hashem saying, Tahat, I gave you everything, but you're sleeping. Let me send you Haman. Let's see if you wake up. And we did wake up. And what happened as a result? We celebrate Purim every single year to remind us not to wait for a Haman in our lives. The famous story, I must have said the story dozens of times. I'm sure you heard the story. But there's probably no more appropriate class to give this story. It's a true story that happened some years ago in Israel. Story is told of a man, a very wealthy man from Brazil, who had someone in his family that was very ill. And basically, they tried every address, every doctor they could reach, and nothing was being given to them, at least not in a good way. Somebody told this wealthy man that there is a rabbi in Israel. His name is Rabbi Fear. Rabbi Fear is a very known doctor. He's not a doctor, actually. He's a, he's a person who guides people to doctors. Very well known, very well connected throughout the world. They said, if you, why don't you go talk to him? He may have some good advice for you. He's in Israel. 
So I guess he called him, he made an appointment, he flew to Israel, he went to see him. And they spoke whatever they spoke about. And this wealthy man told the, doc, told the, the rabbi, he told him, I'm going back to, uh, to going back home tomorrow. So I only have tonight to go to the Kotel. Would you mind that you, I go with you together, we'll go to the Kotel. He said, of course, I'll go with you. And they went very late at night to the Kotel and Maravi, maybe it was midnight. And they're standing, this rabbi who helps sick people, and this wealthy philanthropist, very wealthy man, and they're standing by the Kotel Maravi. And while they're talking to each other, they hear a man who's standing by the Kotel, by the wall, and he's crying uncontrollably. He can't stop crying. And it got so bad that they couldn't even hear each other. The guy's just crying and crying. So the rabbi turned to the wealthy man and says, listen, there's a reason why we're here right now. I didn't think I was coming here tonight, but we're here. And this guy is sitting here by the wall crying his eyes out. He says, why don't we do something good together? He says, let's ask him what he needs. What could he be crying for? He's either crying because God forbid someone is sick. So I'm going to take upon myself, if in fact someone is sick in his family or him, I am going to do everything I can to get him whatever he needs. Or it might be a financial issue. That's why else he might be crying. If it's a financial issue, tell me, will you accept upon yourself to give him whatever he needs? So they made an agreement. Absolutely. The rabbi goes over to this man. And he says to him, you know, I noticed that you're sitting here crying by the wall for the last, I don't know how many minutes. He says, I want to introduce you. I'm Rabbi Elimelech Fuhrer. This is Mr. So-and-so from Brazil. He says, we want to help you. Please tell me, what is it that you're crying about? He says, is it a health issue? He says, no. Baruch Hashem, no health issues. He says, is it someone in your family has a health issue? He says, no, Baruch Hashem, everyone in my family is good. He says, is it a financial issue? He says, no, Baruch Hashem, me, my family, financially we're good, Baruch Hashem. He says, so I don't get you. You're sitting here, you're crying, your eyes out. He says, nobody's sick. You have Paranasa. So what are you crying for? He says, I tell you tonight, my daughter got married. He says, after the wedding, he said, it's late, everyone went home, I'm on my way home. And I said to myself, you know, look at me. A man like me was only born some years ago. I was zocher to get married and also to have children. And now also my daughter got married to a beautiful Hatan. He says, I had to go and say thank you to Hashem. So I went to the Kotel Maravi to say thanks. He said, I'm, as I'm, I'm here and I'm thanking Hashem for my daughter's wedding. He said, I can't stop thinking about all the kindness that Hashem has done for me. Now through the years, he said, I can't stop. How many people 
cry from happiness. How many people are crying, saying, thank you, Hashem, for so many things that I don't deserve? What is it that I need to do? How can I repay you? This is the real way a person picks up Hashem's messages. The Havot Levavot brought them in the order of, number one, Hashem talks to you, talks to me, through the Hatzlachot, through success, through Simha. Not that, rebuke. You'll go to shul and the rabbi will be yelling about something. And it's something to do with you. That's another way. You'll read a book and boom, you'll hear something. Your friend will tell you something. That's number two. Number two, that, that doesn't work. Then, God forbid, you'll see others suffering. That doesn't work. Then you have the fourth level of direct Yisurin. But the proper way is to have the first message and stop right there. But it's not so easy. It's not so easy, as flowery and as, a, as happy as it sounds. It's not so easy for a person to live with full energy and full avodat Hashem from Simha. Even a man like David Melech had to constantly awaken his soul. Like we see in Tehillim, he would say, Haleli nafshi. Who is he talking to? David Melech. Haleli, praise nafshi. My soul, praise Hashem. Barechi nafshi. My soul, bend yourself. The word barechi means to bend yourself. Humble yourself. Demand more of yourself. You know you could do better. You know you could pray better. You know you could help more people. You know you could spend better your time. You, you know it, but who is he talking to? You would think David Melech is talking to somebody else. He's talking to himself. Throughout the Tehillim. He tells his soul, don't forget all the kindness Hashem has done for you. If David Melech has to remind himself, it means this is not a simple endeavor. Do not think that because you came to this class or because I spoke in this class that we're going to walk out of here together and we're going to take all the great lessons of Hatzlaha in life and be able to capitalize on them. It's not that simple. I wish it were. But if it were that simple, David Melech would not have to tell his soul, Barichi nafshi, halali nafshi. This is one of the great human challenges. To be able to receive the successes of life. The happy moments in life. And to turn them around. And give back all that you can. Say Hashem, I'm going to be your best child. I am going to do more than anybody else. Because you gave me more anybody else. You see all those people? They don't have what I have. I have more than them. I need to be better than them. I'm going to do more. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to give more money. I'm going to give more time. I'm going to learn more. I'm going to do much more in my life because you gave me so much more. 
It sounds so simple, but it's so complicated. It's so difficult for us to live life that way. And I'd like to share with you a few thoughts of why that is and how it works. If you open up the Mishnah in Perkei Avot, the Mishnah talks about the 48 qualities a person has to have in order to achieve greatness in Torah and in life in general. 48 different qualities that a person must have in order to achieve greatness in life. When you see the number 48, you start to scratch your head thinking 48 qualities? 48 qualities? How many qualities could we even name? We know the quality of patience, the quality of truth, the quality of humility, the quality of kindness, the quality, I cannot name you probably five, six, seven, 48 qualities you need to have in order to achieve greatness in life. Just the number itself is shocking. 48. So if I only can name seven, I'm not even sure I'm good at those seven, but if I can only name seven, then I'm probably missing 41. And the Mishnah doesn't say that one of the qualities, not one out of 48. You need all 48. You need to have a complete package in order to get a life of greatness, a life of simha. You're wondering why we're in class 57. We're not even close to finishing. Because simha is not so simple. And probably we have to go through each one of those qualities, which I'm sure we will. One of them one of the qualities mentioned in the Mishnah in Perkei Avot, that's the one we're going to be discussing right now, is the quality of Emma. Emma means awe. A-W-E. To live with awe, to live life with Emma. I'm sure nobody thought that's a quality. What does it mean even? I don't know what it means. To live life with awe. Do I have that quality? Well, what is it first? What does it mean to live life with awe? Actually, awe is one of those things that we feel when we see, when we witness something awesome. When we see something awesome or someone that's awesome, you feel this feeling inside of you it's called awe. I can't describe it on paper, but I imagine 
that everybody here has been in awe of something or someone. For example, if a person plays the piano, and they play, okay, they've been playing for years, and all of a sudden, they see someone on the piano who's playing a thousand times better than they play. They can't even imagine to play. The person has their eyes closed and is ripping through songs without papers, without a preparation, and it sounds absolutely gorgeous. And you've been doing this for years, practicing, and you can never even get close to that person. And you're watching them play, and your mouth is open, and you're like, wow, your jaw drops, and you're in awe, you cannot believe what that person is doing. If a person plays basketball, and he's very good at it, but then they see somebody who's a thousand times better. They're hitting shots from 40 feet away. They don't even look when they're going, what they're doing. You're watching, you're in awe. They're jumping 10 feet in the air. They're, they're flying. You're in awe. Wow. A person is learning Gemara and they're struggling to understand the simple back and forth. And all of a sudden, somebody comes to the table and they're unbelievable. The clarity, the question. You thought you understood it, but then they bring it out in so much clearer way. And the back and forth and the depth and the amount of knowledge that they know. And you just you can't believe it. You're in awe. It's unbelievable. When we witness something that is awesome, we have this natural reaction that we call awe. Question is, where did we learn it from? What did we learn that when you see something that's a wow, you have this like feeling, you just, you can't believe it. Always like this feeling where you look at something so big and you feel sometimes a little very small. You're by the Grand Canyon, if anyone's ever there, you're like, wow, oh, it's awesome. Niagara Falls, awesome. You're in awe. Where did we learn to become in awe? Where did we pick that up from? Which lesson in school taught us about awe? Which book taught us about awe? Where did we pick that up from? And the answer is, we didn't need it. We didn't need school. We didn't need a teacher. We didn't need parents. Awe is a natural feeling of a human being when they see something extraordinary, something awesome, something amazing. It's automatic. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to learn it. Hashem put it in our DNA, in our emotional DNA, that when we see something amazing, we are in awe. It is very natural. 
reality, we should be in awe every day. Actually, every second. We should live our life with awe. If we would recognize how much kindness the creator of the world is doing for us every second of our lives, we would be in awe. Right now we're sitting here and we're all breathing, yet nobody's trying to breathe. That's awesome. You know, if we had to think about breathing every second, there wouldn't be much time to think about anything else. How can I talk to you for an hour and a half or more? And I have to stop to breathe every second. I mean, I need to breathe. How would that happen? First of all, I'd be exhausted from just breathing. And I couldn't think about too much else. So we're sitting here and we're breathing, but nobody's trying to breathe. That's awesome. person goes to sleep at night exhausted they could hardly move and after a few hours of sleep they wake up re-energized they're a different person they're ready to go how did that happen that's awesome how did that happen you know most people who lived 120 years never thought about that for a second how they'd been sleeping for so many years of their life and never once realized that waking up after sleep energetic is an awesome experience how do you explain that a person has no energy barely when they go to sleep and in the morning they're all energized. So of course people will tell you, what do you mean? I lay down. <coughs> you lay down? When does laying down give people more energy? Try that with your phone. Take your phone at night and put it on a bed with a pillow under it and some covers on top. Yes. It's 30% when you put it to sleep. In the morning, you think it's going to be 100%? By the morning, it'll probably be dead. Because it takes energy just to be alive. It takes energy to breathe while you sleep. So how did you re-energize when you went to sleep? How did that happen? Wow, that's pretty awesome. I don't know. Imagine you buy a phone today, and they tell you, this phone just charges by itself. When it gets to 5%, it just charges by itself. You'd be like, wow, that's awesome. That's amazing. As we talk, as we walk, everything about us is just awesome. I once attended a dinner 
that was made in honor of somebody who received a kidney. Someone who was waiting for a very long time for a kidney transplant, suffering for months and months, and very little hope. And they finally got someone, a donor. So imagine the donor gives a kidney. They gave her a part of their body, and now she's alive and well. And they made a dinner, Seudat Hoda'a, to thank Hashem. And at that dinner, the donor was present. Not only was he present, he spoke. Watching this person, the recipient, <coughs> looking at the speaker was like watching, I don't know how to describe it to you, like this, in awe. You know, people come to my class and listen all the time. Unfortunately, half are sleeping, <laughs> others are doing other things, each one is involved, they're relaxing. I never had someone like this. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm not saying you should do it, I'm just telling you. That look that this woman had for that man was just like this. She's watching him with her eyes open as if he's saying these pearls of wisdom. She was literally in awe that a man would give up of his kidney just so that she could stay alive. Every time she thinks about that person, it's awesome. Ask him, how, ask, how is that person today? It's an awesome person. Happens to be the kidney isn't as good as the one that she had before. Our body is made up of trillions of parts. Literally, trillions of parts. And if things are going well, that's trillions of jaw-dropping experiences. And that's with us every moment of our lives. Yet none of us are going, ah, wow. Awesome. I feel the thrill of life. That woman felt the thrill of being alive with half a kidney, not a full one. Yet, most of us do not feel the thrill with everything working. And not only our bodies, the world that Hashem put us in, it's an awesome world. You look around you and you see the beautiful skies in all types. There's the blue sky. There's the almost blue sky. There's the cloudy sky. There are some clouds, partly cloudy skies. There's a, the sky of the sunset. There's sunrise. There's right before sunrise. There's right before sunset. There's right after sunrise. Right after sunset. So many beautiful sights in this world that artists only wish to replicate in their art. They wish to be able to replicate the great artist called the creator of the world. The beautiful world that we live 
the beautiful, beautiful grass, the soft grass, the trees, the amazing amount of food, different tastes, the ability to enjoy them without taste buds. It's non-stop as we sit here. I'm sure somebody here ate an hour or two ago. While after we eat, we're done. We don't even we don't even say Mazon, oh Mazon, not sure. Tired. Meanwhile, your body just started working. Literally, there are men or women or both, I don't know who they are, they're creations of God that are waiting literally for your food as it comes down. They dissect it. They break it down. They distribute it to every part of the body. Luckily, the calcium goes to the ends of our fingers, not somewhere else. Luckily, the eyes get what they need and the heart gets what it needs. And every part of our body gets whatever nutrients it needs to continue and to thrive. All that, and we're sitting here. Well, we go to sleep. But things are happening. And after all is said and done, any extra, any waste, gone. That's awesome. That's an unbelievable experience that we're living with every day. I told you a few minutes ago, that the feeling of awe is the most natural experience. It is not something that we were taught or need to be taught. It has been given to us for free. That when we see something awesome, we feel an awe. There's a thrill to life. We look around us and we don't find people in awe. Actually, we see a lot of people complaining. We find a lot of complaining. People who are not happy or not nearly as happy as they should be. Walk around the streets, you see people in awe. You see people with their head down. I once did my own private test of how long it takes a person to complain in a conversation. I probably tried it on you, you didn't realize. So here it goes. This is the normal conversation you have with somebody. So how's it going? Great. Baruch Hashem. Great. Now when they say great, I learn it means terrible. That's what I learn it means. When they say, I'm not sure, it means maybe it's okay. When they say great, you gotta be worried. Because soon after the great, very soon after the great, like within five seconds, they will start to open up if they are comfortable with you. And you will hear every complaint imaginable. A normal conversation, I found, didn't take more than five seconds for there to be complaint. We don't find a world living with awe. So how does that make sense? We have a natural 
feeling that we're in awe, we're amazing. When we see awesome things, it's natural. Yet we look around the world and everybody's got awesome things happening to them, left and right, while they're up and while they're sleeping. The simple and the complicated, the obvious and the not so obvious, the basic and the extras. I mean, it's nonstop. It's awesome. Yet, where is the awe? Where is the natural awe that all of us are supposed to be walking around with this big thrill, this, this same picture of that woman watching the one who gave her a kidney with her jaw dropped and like this. Why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we walking around saying, I can't believe this, I'm awestruck. Isn't it natural? How many people today? How many people today are looking for a thrill in life? They need to find it on a very, very different kind of trip because the normal trip is normal. They need a high like gambling or alcohol or they need a drug. They need something to get high. Why are they not high on life? The only person that looks for dangerous highs or unnecessary ones are the people who are not living with awe. If you're living with awe, who has time for that? So many people dying every single day from drugs and alcohol. So many unhappy people in so many areas of life. What happened? Did our awe leave us? So do we not have awe? So I don't get it. I see a guy playing piano, and I'm like, this? Awe? But I see something much greater, and I'm not? How does that work? So Hashem does something that's unbelievable. The creator of the world is really, doesn't need my ask how much, but it's, it's really magnificent. It's really awesome just to see how he does things. You see, living with awe is a choice that we need to make in life. That would answer another question that I didn't ask. How could the Mishnah Perkei Avot list awe as one of the 48 qualities you have to have if it's a natural, God-given quality? It's like saying you have to have eyes. One of the qualities you have to have eyes. It's not a quality you have to have. Hashem either gives you eyes or doesn't give you eyes. That can't be listed as an acquisition. How could they list awe as something you have to acquire, something you have to have, isn't it natural? Isn't it God-given? Should we give a class on all? What are we saying here? 
The answer to these questions is that Hashem has given us awe, but expects us to use it with our own free choice. You have a choice and I have a choice in life. We can live a life with awe or not. It's going to be up to us. Now, how would the creator of the world, watch this, how would the creator of the world give us the natural feeling of awe and then say to us, but it's going to be your choice to use it. Well, if you gave it to me, of course I'm going to use it. How is that free choice? How would Hashem living, make living with awe a free choice? How would He do it? So He does something remarkably genius, amazing. Here's what He does. He creates humans immature when they come into this world. Me and you, we came into this world completely immature in every way possible. For sure, our mind was immature. There is no way that you could live in awe when you were six months old. You didn't have the capability of living with awe. There was no way that a person, even at two years old, could look at the sun and say, wow, amazing. What is that light bulb? You know how many lights it takes to give light to this room? And it doesn't even come close to a window that's showing sunlight. Forget the sun directly. The, the one light bulb, the one light bulb that's lighting up the entire world, it's lighting up a place and the same place 6,000 miles away, the same way. One light bulb for an entire room would be magnificent in our standards today. One light bulb, a whole room, too little, we can't do it. Yet one light bulb lights up the entire planet and gives it energy and gives heating. That's awesome. Imagine the first day of your life you would have been mature and you would have woken up and said, and looked around you, all of a sudden you see this light bulb. You would flip out. You would go, what, what is this? This is awesome. What, who made that? How is it giving me so much light? How am I and the guy walking in Yerushalayim getting the same light from the same bulb when I can't light my room with one bulb? How? How could it reach so much with such quality and so much more? If we would wake up the first day of our lives with a light bulb like that coming out, we would literally be awestruck. We would be living with awe. Problem is, when we saw the light the first time, we were immature. And Hashem takes us through this immature type of mindset for years. Till we're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 18. I don't know, whatever people get immature, I'm not sure. Now what's going to happen? What's going to happen is when they become mature, they're going to see their eyes again for the first time and say, whoa, who gave me these? They're going to see their body and say, what's going on? Wait, how did I sleep and get up more energy? How? Once I ate food 
Where'd it go? Who's taking care of it? How is it that I'm able to breathe if I'm not breathing? How am I talking? How's that happening? I look at my fingers and I see a thumb that's coming out the wrong way. Whoa, how'd that happen? And then I realize it's not the wrong way. That's the right way. Because if it would have grown like my rest of my fingers, I couldn't grab like I do. Wow, and it happened twice? Unbelievable, how'd that happen? Oh, you too? You did the same thing? That's awesome. How'd that happen? And I look at my fingers and I see the extra skin somewhere in the middle, this extra skin. And I wonder why the extra, extra skin there? For what reason? Is there extra skin in the middle of my fingers? And then I start to turn my fingers and move them. I realize, oh, good thing there's extra skin. Otherwise, I would rip my skin if I put my finger down. Wow, so lucky. On every finger, I have the same one. And you too, wow. Can't believe it. That's awesome. Isn't that what every 13, 14, 15-year-old should be doing? Just looking at things one more time and saying, whoa, how'd I get here? Who made me? What's going on? And much more. That's what should happen. But it usually doesn't happen. The reason why it doesn't happen is because even though awe is a natural feeling, it would never be free choice unless Hashem made an enemy of awe. The enemy of awe is called habit. You see, if you've been breathing for 13 years and never thought about it once because you're not capable of, so then you start living according to your habit. Not start, you continue living according to your habit. You know, for most people, a lot of things, a lot of the things they do is the same thing they were doing when they were two years old. I always like to give this example because it's such a clear example. Most people that you see praying are praying like a five-year-old. It's unfortunate. And I say it's to their credit that they can continue to pray that way for so long. A five-year-old, if you ever see a five-year-old pray when they're taught how to pray, they open the book and they just tell them, repeat. Now, the five-year-old doesn't know what they're saying. They don't know why they're saying it. They don't know to whom they're saying it. They're just saying the words. And they know. They come in the morning and they have to feel like, Now, surprisingly, there are people today, 75, 80 years old, who have been going to shul three times a day, that pray exactly the same way. Two hours a day. It's a big investment. Maybe an hour and a half a day. Big investment in tefillah. And they're praying the same way. Ask them, what does this mean? I don't know. And by the way, they never even wondered what they're doing. Meaning, if you took today a Baal Teshuvah, a secular Jew, who grew up completely secular, and he said, I want to make Teshuvah. He's 20 years old. He said, okay, come tomorrow morning, we're going to pray. It's the first thing. You come to shul, you give him a sidur, and he starts praying. I don't think he'll last five minutes before he tells you, wait, 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 what am I doing? What am I saying? What is this? Why don't you stand up for? Why are you putting your hands over your eyes? What are you doing? 
Could you explain to me? Why did you go like that when you said Shema? And the person said, I, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Why do you do that? You know how many questions you would ask on tefillah? Yet someone's praying 80 years, not once did it dawn on them that maybe they should re-understand what they're doing. How come? Because they're praying through a five-year-old mouth and a five-year-old mind. Because they developed a habit of praying that way, they will continue that habit for the rest of their lives. We see the world in a certain way when we're little. It's an immature way. We see the world in a way that we can't be awestruck because we're not capable of being awestruck. Take a little kid to Niagara Falls, six months old. He's not awestruck. He can't understand what he's even looking at. But we develop a habit. Hashem puts us in the world and says, Here, you're going to have to decide to live with awe. But first, in order for it to be a decision, I'm going to put you in the world and you're going to live the same awesome experience but without the maturity to be awestruck. And then you're going to develop a habit of seeing yourself, the world around you, all the things that you're getting and more. You're going to develop this habit of not being awestruck until you become more mature. And at some point in your life, you're going to have to choose to live with awe. It's going to be your free choice. Chances are, if you never took the time to re-evaluate everything new again, then we're not living with awe. Because habits don't change. They never change unless you change them. You could live the same way for a hundred years. Nothing will matter. This is the great wisdom of the Creator. He puts us in a world when we don't understand it yet. And then He says, now you're older, now I want you to live with awe. It requires tremendous chokhmah. You know, every parent can appreciate how their son or daughter doesn't appreciate them. How many parents look at their children and say, I don't get it. Don't they realize how much I do for them? Like, how come they're not bowing to me? How come they're not coming and kissing my feet and saying, Mom, whatever you want, I'm there for you. Shouldn't every teenager be doing that to their mother and father? How frustrated is a mother when she sees the children are not even a little appreciated? I had a, I mentioned the other day, I had in my class, I teach 10th grade boys. So I don't know what happened, something happened in the class. So I told them, I said, I want to tell you guys, you are a bunch of rotten, selfish people. <laughs> That's what I told them. Okay, they were very happy to hear that. It took me like three, four months to be able to say such words to them. I don't remember some kid was doing something to another kid. I said, repeat after me, I am rotten, selfish. Of course, they didn't really understand what I was saying. They didn't appreciate what I was saying. 
But I told him, I'm going to prove it to you. I told him, I don't just say things. When I say it, I thought about it for a long time. And it's true. And I'm going to prove it to you. I said, I want to ask you a question. Simple question. I said, if you would right now, it would happen to be a Friday. I said, if you would write, go buy a card, and you will write a nice card to your mother describing how much you appreciate all that she's done for you. And you would give it to her before Shabbat. I said, what do you think will happen to this woman? This one guy said she's going to cry for hours. I can't handle it. I said, do you think your mother would appreciate it? Oh, forget it. One kid told me she'll be happy for a week straight <laughs> if she would see that. I told them, I told them, So here, by raise of hand, how many people here in this room have given their mother a note in their lifetime? Okay, is it? Okay. No, I said, not on birthdays and not on anniversaries. Those don't count. So, of course, the answer was zero. I said, here you go. You have a woman who has given you her life for 16 years and you have the chance in three minutes to make her weak but you don't do it so repeat after me I am selfish <laughs> rotten human being okay and I gave them some more examples I'm not going to go that way That's reality. By the way, I made them write one. I had to make them write one. One guy says, no, I can't give them up. It's too weird. I said, imagine where you're holding in life. That it becomes weird to give your mother something. That's, that's what you're up to. Now, you know, this same boy, I am sure, if like the next door neighbor brought him a sandwich for dinner, he'd flip out. He'd be like, I can't believe it. What a guy. What a guy. Amazing. Who, who does that? Who thinks like that to buy your friend a sandwich? Unbelievable. Mom, you think I should get him flowers for Shabbat? What can I do for the guy? And the mother's thinking, one second, 16 years, okay, I'm spending hours a day making you meals. Not one time did he say, wow, that's awesome, Mom. His friend got him a sandwich that probably, he, if you got it for him, he would say, 
Oh, you know I don't like that store. What happened here? The answer is that a child at two years old cannot appreciate his mother. And as they get older, they're still a child. And they see the world like a child. They could be 90 years old. They're the same child. And they have this habit of receiving from their mother and not even realizing. How many times has a mother looked at her children and said, guys, don't you realize how much I do for you? I bet every mother has had those moments. But the next time you have a moment like that, just remember to look in the mirror and remember to remind yourself that the creator of the world has the same question on you. Because that same child is also you. In fact, Hashem gives us this opportunity, as I mentioned once before, to be able to see it from both sides of the fence. He makes us a child that we don't appreciate, and then He makes us the mother or the father, and we see what that looks like. It looks so ugly on the other side. It looks so normal when you're a child. But when you see from the mother's side or the father's side, it looks so horrible. Where are you? How could you not think about what you should be doing for me? That is the creator of the world. And that's what we mean today when we say that Hashem gives lessons through success. He gives you lunch and he gives you dinner and he and, and you're breathing and you got two good kidneys and you're walking and you're breathing and, get, and there's no end. And he's hoping that one day you will stop and say, let me look at this one more time. Let me see this again. I've been living like a two-year-old. I need to do it fresh. Don't be disappointed in yourself. And don't be offended if someone says you're living like a two-year-old. It's the natural way. Habits don't change until you change them. You have to take a proactive approach in living with awe. Living with awe means you start re-seeing things again. Hashem owes us nothing, zero. He owes you and me nothing. Every simple thing that we have is extra. Any small gift is big. We can never repay, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't want to. We should be walking around all day long. Ma ashiv lashem. If we live with awe, we would be asking all day, so what can I do? What can I give back? That is the most beautiful shiur in life. That's the curriculum Hashem wants to educate us with. He doesn't want to educate us with tahat. He doesn't want to give us, oh, because you didn't get this lesson, let me try that lesson. 
No, no, no. Take this lesson. The best thing we could do for ourselves at any age is to start seeing things for what they are. To get out of the five-year-old mind and see things the right way and live with awe. It's awesome to wake up. It's awesome to eat something. It's awesome to breathe. It's awesome to look around this beautiful world. It's awesome to have heating in our homes. It's awesome to have family. It's awesome to have friends. It's awesome to have a community. It's awesome to have so many things. Where do we stop? There's no stop because it never ends. That's what the Mishnah says. If you want to make it big in life, you have to have this quality. The quality that you live with awe. You don't have time to complain when you live with awe. Where is there time to complain when you're still trying to figure out how all the things you're getting, you're getting every day? Living with awe is one of the qualities. And the only way that we'll be able to access it is we have to re-see things again. There's one extra beautiful result that comes along with living with awe. That might be even greater than living with awe. By the way, I once heard a beautiful explanation to something that is very hard to understand. I don't know if anybody here likes scary rides. But there's a whole business out there of scary rides. They make these very scary rides. The scarier, the better. People drive hours to get there. Some even fly. People wait on lines. They pay a lot of money. Just to be scared for five minutes. And really needs explanation. Like, why would people want to get scared? It's usually people want not to be scared. So why would you pay to get scared? What does that mean? They used to have in my day, they had this thing called a scream machine. I don't know if they still have it. Still have it? Why, why you still go? Unbelievable. <laughs> scream machines, wild. You get up there and they're screaming away. So I once heard someone make an unbelievable comment about that. He says that really life is a thrill. Just to live is thrilling. It's awesome. But most people, they don't live with that awe. So they go on a scary ride. And for a minute or two, they feel like their life might just be done very quickly. And they're scared. And they start screaming. Oh no, I might just die. And then all of a sudden, safe again. And they go, ah, the thrill of life. They need to feel for a moment life almost going. And then all of a sudden they realize life is awesome. Life's not perfect. Well, it is. But in our eyes, it doesn't seem perfect. 
Not everything's exactly the way we like it. But most things are. And none of it is deserving. So it's awesome. What comes along with living with awe? Something greater than everything we said tonight. Greater than everything else. Imagine living with awe. Come, something comes with it which makes all the difference. I mean, even if we stopped here, we would say, what do you mean? It's great already. Living with awe. You live with a high. You live with an excitement. You live with appreciation. It's awesome. No, but something even more than that. That's just the beginning. But there's something even greater than that. And the greater thing is that there's a rule in life that you need to know. The rule is that a person will be influenced by those who he is in awe of. When you're in awe of someone, when you respect someone, then you can be influenced by that person. That person can teach you. That person can guide you because you're in awe. Whether it's good or bad, whoever you're in awe of becomes your teacher. That's why heroes are such a big deal. That's the way of the world. According to who you respect, that's how. That's who you will learn from. That's why it's so important. The Torah tells us you have to honor your father and mother. You have to honor them not because they need the honor. The honor of father and mother is not for them. Sometimes parents are lax and say, I don't need it. I don't need it. If you need it, okay, I don't need it. That's a terrible mistake. Because it's not for you. It's for them. They need you. They need you to teach them. They need you to guide them. But they have to be in awe of you. You know who was in awe? Yosef was in awe of Yaakov. Yaakov was such a great person that when Yosef was alone in Egypt, so far away from his father, so far in many, on many levels, yet the awe of his father was teaching him in Egypt, in the most difficult, far away place. So when we think of that story, we think how awesome Yosef was. And of course he was awesome. But we forget how awesome Yaakov must have been. That the awe he gave over to his children stayed with them even when they were far away. Every father and mother needs to think about that. That you need to be the Yaakov of your children. You need to be the awe that your children look at. When, you, when your children think of you, they say, oh, my mother's awesome. She's an unbelievable woman. My father, wow, what a man. The way he is, the way he acts, the way he talks, the way he does. What a person. Now, the reason why you need them to be in awe of you is not that they could write something nice on your, uh, on your tombstone. Or they could say something nice by the arayat. They need to be in awe of you because then you will be able to teach them. How many times in your life have you wanted to teach something to your children but you couldn't get the message across? They just won't learn from you. The guy in Hollywood says something, they're in. 
The guy in France says something, they're in. You say something, you're way out. Why? Because they're not in awe of you. When the Torah says, respect your father and mother, it's not for the father and mother, it's for you. Because you have to learn from them. And actually look in the Torah. Wherever there's someone to learn from, says the Torah, you have to have awe. You have to be respectful. Like the Kohen. We have to respect the Kohen. He always goes first. He's the teacher of Am Yisrael. A Talmid Hakam, you have to be in awe. A rabbi walks by, stand up. You gotta kiss his hand. Why? Someone once told me, Rabbi, I thought you're a humble man. I said, I'm not sure if I am, but why did you think now I'm not a humble man? He said, I saw someone coming over to you and you wanted to kiss your hand and you let him. He says, how does that go with humility? I said, let me explain to you something. I said, I'm not there yet to call myself a humble man. But I will tell you one thing. That I know that that boy, he needs me. But I will never be able to help him if he doesn't have the respect and the awe. He needs, your children need to stand up for you because they need you. The students have to stand up for the rabbi because they need their rabbi. Torah says, someone hits 70, you gotta, you gotta stand up for them. Why? Not my cousin, not my father. I never saw them in my life. They never did a thing for me. Why am I standing up for them? Hakaratato? I don't know them. No, no, because age comes wisdom. Automatically. Experiences of life. That person has what to teach you. But you can't learn from them unless you stand up. According to the respect, that's how much you will be able to get from the person. That's a rule in life. It's not only by people, by the way. It's even by things. It says by David Amelech that he didn't have respect for the clothing of Shaul, which we're not going to go through right now on his level. He cut Shaul's beged. And therefore, when he got older, the clothing wouldn't give him heating like normal clothing. Because if you don't respect clothing, you don't get clothing to give you from its energy. Someone once asked me, a young man asked me, he says, you know, I struggle with tefillah. I want to pray. I want to connect. I just, I don't connect. I don't get it. I don't like it. I don't have any feelings for it. He says, could you help me? What, what do I have to do? He probably thought I'm going to tell him to go buy books and start learning the words, which is a good idea. But I didn't. I told him, tell you, do three things. Do three things for one month and check back with me. So he got a little nervous. What three things am I ask him? I said, okay. So when you pray, make sure you're always wearing nice clothing. Tuck your shirt in, wear nice clothing. You don't have to wear your Shabbat clothes, but look nice. Look respectable. Number two, don't talk during tefillah. You're talking to Hashem, don't talk to anybody else. And number three, say every word, even if you don't understand, just say it the right way. Okay, that was the end of the conversation. He walked away probably thinking, how is that going to help his tefillah? Because he, he tucked his shirt in and his tefillah is in order. What is it going to connect? What is that, what is that doing? 
And this young man, I don't remember coming after that month, but a few years later, I remember he came up to me. And he said, you know, that did miracles for him. And what, what did I tell him at the end of the day? I'm such a genius? No, it's very simple. You respect your tefillah, the tefillah will give back to you. Simple. You respect your tefillah, you do it right. You do it with kavod, the tefillah will give back to you. When you sit and learn Torah, if you respect your Torah by learning properly, by by reviewing, by whatever it is it means to respect the Torah, you will be able to learn from the Torah. Everything that we give kavod to, we will be able to be affected from. Living with awe is not just about living with a thrill, which on its own is also great. It's not just living a life without complaining. It's not just like living with simha. It's actually much bigger than that. Because when you become in awe of the Creator, you become the student of the Creator. And you start to ask, what is it that you think I should be doing? And all of a sudden Hashem will talk to you and before you never listened, he told you to do A, he said, nah, I'm not into that one. Do B, nah, not for me. This one, okay, I like that one. All of your life, you've been kind of choosing your way of how you wanted to live your life. But when you become in awe of the Creator, then He becomes the greatest influence in your life. And you will be His student. And he will tell you, you know, you shouldn't be doing that on Shabbat. And you'll say, of course. You'll be like that woman that night when she was listening to the donor talking. Whatever he would say sounded so good and so right and so powerful. It was actually pretty boring. But to her it was unbelievable. It's like, wow, unbelievable. When you're in awe of the Creator, you become the student of the Creator. And you start to think and to look and to, your whole attitude changes because you're living with awe. That is the biggest gift of awe. Of course, to live with a thrill is great. And that's enough for many people. But it's much more than that. So much more valuable than that. Be'ezrat Hashem. This is the lesson. This is the curriculum that all of us would like to get. When we enroll in the classes, Hashem has classes. Is you want to be in uh, class one? You want to be in class two, three, four? There's no question. After we learn the halot lelavot, we're learning. Let's all enroll in class one. We want to be in class one. We get it. Maybe we've been sleeping for a long time or relatively sleeping. Let's go to class one. To go to class one, it's not that you have to ask Hashem, okay, Hashem, so start doing for me. Start sending the envelopes. He'll tell you what I mean, start sending envelopes. I've been, it's like a child telling his mother, okay, start doing for me. I, I'm doing for you every second. What are you talking about? It requires living with awe. 
which requires recalculating. You're never too old or too smart or too mature to sit down with a pen and paper and start listing the things that you are getting daily and asking yourself, where did they come from and why do I deserve it? I remember once they interviewed a guy, it wasn't even a Jew. I don't remember his name. I don't think it matters. And he got sick. He was a very successful person for many years. And he got sick. I think shortly after he died. And they asked him during his sickness. So tell me, do you ever ask God, why are you doing this to me? So his answer was, he says, for many years, I got all the blessings in my life. I never once asked God, why are you doing this to me? He says, I'm not going to ask now. It's a mistake both ways. He made a mistake. It sounds nice. He made a mistake both ways. He should have been asking all along. And when something happened, he should have been for sure asking. It's not the best way to ask. But nonetheless, like Shimshon, he could have turned it into something beneficial, into something great. We are in control of our emma, of our awe. But we need to take the five-year-old out and bring in the new mature me and live life with awe and live life with the creator of the world. Baruch Amen. Amen. Thank you.